Today's episode of the Republic of Football is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan Jayaraja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all my work at texfootball.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. And make sure and check out the new texasbasketball.com. And also make sure and pick up the new basketball magazine off of bookshelves. And soon enough, we're also going to have the winter recruiting edition out. That's coming in the next couple of months. We have to start with one of the first marquee games of the season, especially now that we know a little bit about these teams. Now, Texas-Oklahoma turns out to be a marquee game, but we didn't necessarily know that to this extent when we were going into the Red River sh uh, Showdown a couple weeks ago. Now we know Texas is a legit top 20, top 25 team. West Virginia, ranked number 13, Texas number 17, both in the college football playoff rankings. And in a lot of ways, this was an elimination game for the Big 12 title game. Both these teams came into the matchup with just one loss. The winner would have an inside track to get into the title game because not only would they have only one loss in conference play, they'd also have the tiebreaker against the other team in this game. And up until literally the last 30 seconds of the game, it looked like Texas was going to escape with this. This game was obviously played at JLK Royal Stadium in Austin. And with only a couple minutes left, Texas finds Devin DuVernay on a great stop-and-go route in the end zone for a diving touchdown catch. That makes the game 41-34, to just two and a half minutes remain in the fourth quarter against number 13 West Virginia. And at this point, this, uh, media is allowed to go down to the field with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I'll tell you what, this was quite a time to go down because the stadium was rocking. I, I mean, Tom Herman talked about it after the game, but this is the sort of Texas atmosphere that we haven't seen in a long time consistently. And now, uh, you know, the one time that we had kind of seen it was, was for Texas USC a couple of weeks ago. But this is a conference game. This is a big game against a conference opponent. This is one that Texas needed to have. And Texas hasn't played in big games this late in the year in a very long time. You know, I noted in my post-game column on TexasFootball.com that Texas had not won uh, eight games that, in the entire previous senior class. Like, none of the kids who graduated last year won eight games while at the University of Texas. And obviously that's unacceptable, and, and that should easily change this season. But there was a lot of pressure, and there was a lot of excitement, and the new Bevo Boulevard outside of Darrell K. Royal Memorial Stadium really helped up the atmosphere. So... So again, at this moment, you're talking about with about two minutes left in the game, the stadium is rocking. It's as loud, it's as active, it's as exciting as anyone that we've seen or any Texas stadium that we've seen in a long time. But then all of a sudden, West Virginia gets the ball back and Texas's strength has been in the secondary all season long. Well, that didn't show up in the last couple of minutes. Whether they were worn out, whether the pass rush just couldn't get there, Will Greer was able to dice down the field with ease he eventually finds Gary Jennings in the end zone for a 33-yard touchdown right in front of the end zone where we're standing. And the crowd just goes silent. But, but you know, in everyone's mind, the thought process is, okay, well, you know, yeah, obviously it sucks. It, it sucks for, for Texas that, um, that, okay, now they have to go and maybe uh, try to win this game in overtime, which nobody really wanted. You know, I, I don't think Texas really wanted that to play any extra time. But, okay, sure. But Dana Holgerson <laughs> is exactly as crazy as you think he is. I mean, you see him and you're like, oh my God, this guy's a maniac. And, and he coaches that way too. 
<laughs> and you've seen the last couple minutes of the game. You know, we were we were down on the sideline, and, and we see Dana turn to Will Greer and say, "You want to go win this game? Let's go win this effing game." And West Virginia comes out with a great design on a two-point conversion play. Will Greer runs it into the end zone, virtually untouched, and West Virginia wins the football game, forty-two to forty-one. It was. Ugh. It was an astonishing game. I mean, it was one of the most exciting games that we've seen this season in a lot of ways, and that includes, again, Cameron Dicker kicking a three-point, uh, a three-point extra, excuse me, three-point field goal as time expired back during the Red River Showdown. But this atmosphere was absolutely nuts. It was comparable to that game, and when Greer found Jennings in the back of the end zone, and when Greer ran it in for the two-point conversion, the place went from a hundred decibels to like ten instantaneously. You could hear the West Virginia players celebrating. That's how quiet it became. And after the game, we talked to defensive end Charles O'Menehue, and we, we've had him after a couple of games, um, you know, just for interviews and all. And he is a pretty open guy. He's a pretty, you know, affable guy. But he comes out there, and he's just sitting there. Remember, uh, Charles is a senior. He's just sitting there as the whole media tries to interview him. And he's just not having it. He's kind of refusing to answer questions. He's kind of refusing to do anything. He just looks dejected as heck. And when you look at the context of this loss and the way that it happened, it's kind of understandable. Because when Charles who was recruited here by, by Charlie Strong, he was told, we are going to compete for conference titles and we are going to compete for national titles. That's what the expectations are at the University of Texas. And to this point, he's not only not done that, They've only made one bowl game. So now Charles Manahue's coming in, and Texas had a real shot at the Big 12 title heading into this game if they had beaten West Virginia. They would have had the inside track. They would have had a pretty easy path. They only would have had one conference loss. Well, now all of a sudden, Texas needs a little bit of help. They need West Virginia to lose at least two more games, most likely, to have a shot at the Big 12 title. And that doesn't even count that they have to go through and they have to win all the games on the rest of their schedule too. Now, at the same time, this, this isn't the end of the world for Texas, let's be clear. You know, just, just last year, we were celebrating them getting to 6-6, six and six, you know? So this, this rebuild is happening, and this rebuild is happening quick, but, you know, again, it, it just, it's missed opportunities. It's, it's, it's these little missed opportunities. It's, you know, if Texas gets a stop on that touchdown play to Gary Jennings, they probably win the football game. If Texas can figure out the two-point conversion play, they probably won the football game. And honestly, you even look at last week. I mean, Oklahoma State is not very good. You know, Tylen Walls was able to feast on single coverage from defensive backs. If they figure that out earlier, and if they decide to bracket him, or if they decide to bring safety help, or whatever they decide to do, maybe this game goes differently, right? I mean, it's just so many little missed opportunities for Texas. And that's a lot of the way that it was last season, too, actually. Um... I, you know, ultimately, I think that the way that program development goes is you play games close, and then you go win those games the next year. And last year, they played a lot of games close, and this year, they've been winning a lot of those close games. I mean, this is really one of the few close games that they ended up losing, because you look at the, the results, or well, I guess, I guess also the loss to Maryland was also a, a close game. In Oklahoma State, the score was close, but it was really because of a furious comeback. But look at the other games. Uh, Baylor, they won a six-point game. Oklahoma, they won a three-point game. Kansas State, they won a five-point game. And uh, Tulsa, they won a seven-point game. And USC and TC were blowouts, but neither of those teams look particularly good right now. So Texas had been 
making the plays down the stretch and winning those close games. So I think that makes it a little extra disappointing that they were not able to finish it off down the stretch. I do have to give a lot of credit, though, to Sam Ellinger because he has taken a step forward that I think that you know we knew was possible, but I don't know if we knew it was probable. Against West Virginia, he completed 25 of 36 passes for 354 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, also added 52 rushing yards in another score. And this is just an extension of what he's been doing all season long. On the year, he has 2,171 yards, 64.2 completion percentage. Now, here's the real kicker. 16 touchdowns to only two interceptions. Last year, for the course of most of a season, he was 11 touchdowns to seven interceptions. And I don't need to tell any Texas fans about where those interceptions came. A lot of them came in the most critical of moments for Texas, and several of them cost them football games. Against USC is a good example, against Oklahoma State last year. Well, you know, he's really managed to clean things up. And look, he, he was part of the reason that Texas lost against Maryland, because he threw both of his interceptions against Maryland, including a really bad one down the stretch. But since then, he's really cleaned things up. He's looked like a completely different player, and his ability to help in the run game that helps it really does help and it helps the offense keep moving it helps open up the run game for running backs as well and adding Keontae Ingram has obviously helped a whole lot as well but you know Texas looks like a different offense this year they're much more efficient they're much more stable and and you look at the two losses again it's a 38-35 and it's a 42-41 so you know it Really, you look at both those games, and I mean, the offense does need to hold on to the ball a little bit better, et cetera, et cetera, but the defense was really the unit that ended up letting these, uh, this team down. And against West Virginia, they did lose some key players. Devontae Davis went out on like the first drive of the game, I think. Brecken Hager went out early in the game. Uh, Marquez Vimage also went out early in the game, a couple of defensive linemen. So they weren't able to get a consistent pass rush on Will Greer. And when Will Greer doesn't have a consistent pass rush, he can pretty much do whatever he wants. I mean, he's, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country for a reason. And, and Tom Herman, after the game, called him a first-round quarterback. But after this game, it, it was just obvious how frustrated everybody was because of how close things were and how close things should have been. Uh, you know, you talk about this game. I mean, again, it's a one-point game that's decided on a two-point conversion <clears throat> with only seconds left. It, and, and Tom Herman, after the game, kind of was like, well, you know, I thought that celebrating before you get into the end zone and taunting before you get into, into the end zone is a penalty, you know, on, on Will Greer's run because he kind of high-stepped and pointed the ball at the end zone. I mean, and, and he was called for an unsportsmanlike penalty, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after he scored the two-point conversion that actually helped Texas set up a shorter field than maybe it should have been um, for at least a try at a Hail Mary, but... It, it just wasn't quite enough, of course. I mean, Sam Ellinger doesn't have a 70-yard arm. That's not what he brings to the table. But, you know, again, that's the sort of thing that you don't complain about those calls if you win the football game, you know? It's, it's, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't have. I, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been frustrated, but that's the sort of thing that you do not say if you're able to go out and win a football game. I'll tell you that much. It, it was a little bit disappointing to see from him, but, but again, emotions are high. You lose. You maybe lose your shot at the Big 12 title over the course of a couple of seconds. It's football. I mean, I mean, emotions are going to be high and things are going to be tough. So, but, but again, Texas still on the right track. I mean, when our, when our college power poll comes out, which it, might, it probably already will be up by the time that you see it, so check TexasFootball.com for that. But Texas is probably still going to be a, 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 on the top of the rankings because nobody else really took the spot from them. Uh, you know, Houston 
had a great shot to take it, and then they end up losing to SMU over the weekend. Texas Tech can't quite pull off the job against Oklahoma. Texas A&M loses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Texas is still in a great spot. They're still the standard bearers of the state, and I think that's a big step. But uh, let's go from the team that has kind of been at the top of the rankings for a lot of the season to the one that's been right at the bottom. UTEP, for the first time in 20 games, finally gets a win. 34-26 over Rice. UTEP actually gets out to a 27-0 lead in the first half. And honestly, more than anything, they just had to maintain and they just had to avoid a letdown down the stretch because they scored four touchdowns early in this game in the first half. And that's kind of all she wrote. I mean, Rice has looked pretty bad this season, especially after losing several playmakers. Emmanuel Sukba was back for this game, but Sean Stankovic still is not back for this game. So they're they're kind of cycling through a couple of freshman quarterbacks that they brought onto the roster. Um, but but UTEP really came out, and I think that they knew we don't have a whole lot of wins left on the schedule, a whole lot of opportunities for wins left on the schedule. You had an opportunity against Northern Arizona, and you blew it. You had a chance against New Mexico State, who's really bad this year. You lose by a touchdown. You have a chance on the road against UTSA. You lose by nine. You have a shot against UNT, even. You lose by three. At Louisiana Tech, is by seven. UAB was the only real blowout, but UAB is a world beater right now. You know, you lose 19-0. That's not that bad a score. So there are not a whole ton of wins in, on this Conference USA schedule, but UTEP came out focused. They looked like they wanted to win this football game right from the get-go. They knew exactly the opportunity that they had in front of them. And they come out with a 34-26 to win. And, and again, like I said, they were up 27-0. to And Rice actually scored the last couple of scores to make it from 34 to... Uh, so the score was actually 34-3 to with only a minute left in the third quarter. Rice actually scores, what, 23 points over the course of about eight minutes of game time. But then the defense for UTEP manages to kind of buckle down, manages to hold things under control. And those are the kind of plays that you need to make because Rice had eight and a half minutes to try and win this football game too. But UTEP managed to hold things together. They managed to get Rice off the field. And ultimately, again, these are the sort of wins that you need to have if you're a team like UTEP and you're trying to figure it out. Dana Dimmel took over a program that went 0-12 last year. And now he's trying to bring in a very different philosophy, you know, coming more from the Bill Snyder tree. And it's been a growing process. Uh, Sean Coogler didn't leave a whole lot behind for Dimmel to work with when he took over this roster. But now, all of a sudden, it's 34-26, you have a win, you have some momentum, you have some confidence. This is exactly what UTEP needed this season. They couldn't go two seasons without losing a game. In fact, 20 losses in a row is tied for the most in the history of Texas FBS football, with TCU back in, I think, 73 and 74. So now all of a sudden, you don't hold the outright record, which in itself is obviously a good thing. But you win, you win, you get some momentum, you, you beat a team that's also rebuilding, a sort of team that you'd hope to be able to beat. You all of a sudden have to feel a lot better about Dana Dimmel and, uh, and what UTEP is doing. And, and like I mentioned, you know, this didn't come out of nowhere. UTEP had been playing better since non-conference play ended. You know, after the 24-0 loss to Tennessee, where they actually played pretty decent, like I mentioned, seven-point loss, nine-point loss, three-point loss, seven-point loss, a 19-0 decision against UAB, who's really good, and then an eight-point win. So now you've got a good Middle Tennessee team, you have a struggling Western Kentucky team, and you have a very good Southern Miss team. 
Is there another opportunity for a win? Uh, I don't know. The, the tough thing is that Western Kentucky is maybe the one winnable game, and you play that one on the road, and the other two are at home. So maybe there's a chance to keep it close. But if UTEP finishes 1-11 this year and keeps most of their games in Conference USA play close, I think that's a huge win for this program. Like I mentioned with Texas, you know, program building. You keep things close, you start to win some of them, then you go and win all of them. That's what you have to do. And UTEP's been able to do that, and now they have a win, they have something to build on. And again, I, I'm interested to see what exactly this team looks like going forward. But going from a team that impressed me on Saturday to one that just absolutely embarrassed themselves, UTSA. UTSA is not a team that's trying to install something new. UTSA coming into the season had Frank Wilson, a third-year head coach. They won seven or eight games last year. They, they were a team that's supposed to be moving towards something at this point. Even last year, they really should have competed for the Conference USA West Division, but instead they finished with seven or eight wins after beating Baylor, after getting some early momentum. And now they lose 52-3 to to UAB. I, it's just... I know that UAB is really good. That's not, a, that's not a secret. UAB's got a great chance to win Conference USA. In fact, they probably will win Conference USA. Uh, you know, ever since losing to Coastal Carolina in week two, they have murdered everybody that they've faced. Tulane by seven, Charlotte by 21, Louis Tech by 21, Rice 42-0, UNT by eight, UTEP by 19, UTSA by 49. But that's not really my issue because UAB is a great defense. They can do a whole lot of things on offense. But what is UTSA doing? What do they do well? What are they supposed to be banking on? Because UTSA had stopped the run pretty well the last couple of weeks, but UAB managed eight yards per attempt against them. Uh, UAB is meant to be pretty decent on defense. UAB, or uh, sorry, UTSA is supposed to be pretty decent on defense. UAB averaged nine and a half yards per carry against them. And then on the other end, UTSA, I, I, why do they even play offense? I'm, I mean, they really should just punt instead. Like, they average. 3.6 yards per play, which is somehow only 1.7 or 0.17 yards below their season average. That's that's embarrassing. Like if you're UTSA and you're in year three, that's embarrassing. And I understand that they lost a couple of players before the season and their line is really young. But I mean, come on, 3.6 yards per play. No team has managed under four yards per play since 2014, according to our contributor uh, Frank the Leal. And UTSA looks really poised to, to go out there and break that streak. And keep in mind, this is after they've already played all their winnable games against Texas State, against UTEP, against Rice. Now you've got FIU who's going to kill you. Now you've got, then you've got Marshall who's going to kill you. And you finish with UNT. So it's not going to get any easier. And the offense won't have any more chances to try to figure things out. And like I mentioned, I mean, UAB is a fine offense. They're, they're not great. They're not fantastic. That's not what they do. They shut you down defensively. Uh, you know, they're really good in the front seven. They, they actually hadn't scored more than 42 points in any game this season. In fact, they'd only scored what? More than, let me look at the numbers. They'd only scored more than 31 points. And, and I'm going to not include the game against Savannah State because I don't think that really counts. They'd only scored more than 30 one time. And they go out there against the UTSA and they score 52 points on nine and a half yards per play. That's embarrassing. That, that's unacceptable. And again, I, I think that Frank Wilson has some rope. I think that he should be allowed to figure things out a little bit. But my goodness, I mean, you have to do better. You just have to do better than that. You can't lose 52-3. to three. And 
UTSA is going to have to answer a whole lot of questions the next couple of weeks. And, and again, I think that Wilson will probably get another year to try and figure this thing out. But, I mean, that should be his hot seat year. He shouldn't have a whole lot more after that. So I'll tell you that much. Because you just can't lose games like this, especially when you're playing a team that's good, but, you know, I mean, that hasn't scored 52 against anybody this season. We're going to finish off with one team that I think is actually showing a lot of promise and, and is showing a lot of excitement, and that's Baylor. Baylor had a big opportunity against Oklahoma State to move to five wins, and, and the Cowboys haven't looked great this year, but they were coming off of a dominant performance against Texas in a 37-34 win. Now they go and play Baylor on the road. Baylor's playing on homecoming. And with a couple minutes left, it looks like Oklahoma State has this thing in the bag. The score is 31-28 to Oklahoma State. But Charlie Brewer manages to drive the Bears down the field. You know, a couple of run plays mixed in in between that. They move all the way to the six-yard line with only about 15 seconds left. And so well within field goal range. So they get down to the six. Uh, and then Charlie Brewer kind of runs to kind of set them up. You know, only gets about one or two yards. And, and then is at the six, excuse me. He gets the ball, he drops back, and they just isolate Denzel Mims, who doesn't have a catch in this game, by the way, but they isolate him in the side of the end zone. He just comes down with it with only a couple seconds remaining, and that's the ball game. <laughs> and, and Baylor ends up winning 35-31 to off of basically that Denzel Mims isolation. And, and that's the kind of play that we've been looking for Denzel Mims to make, because he just has not had the best season this year. Uh, Jalen Hurd has taken a lot of his catches um, this season, and Tyquan Thornton has broken into the rotation. Chris Platt's not playing as well as he has played the c past couple of years, but he's still taking some catches. Again, you, you look at the last couple weeks. The last two weeks before this game, he only had five total catches. And like I mentioned, his only catch against Oklahoma State was that six-yard catch. But it was the game winner. A season ago, uh, Mims averaged 17.8 yards per catch. He had over 1,000 yards. He's not going to get close to that this season, I don't think. But... He's showing a lot right now of why he was such a highly touted wide receiver um, coming into this season and why we thought that maybe he could be one of the best in the Big 12, one of the best in the state, and eventually maybe one of the best in the country too. So now if you're Baylor, Baylor needed this game desperately because Baylor's now at five wins. And like we mentioned, you know, they only won one game a year ago. Getting to five is a huge step. But now they've got three games left that are all somewhat winnable at Iowa State versus TCU versus Texas Tech in Arlington. So Iowa State, I, I think that's a loss. I mean, Iowa State is playing out of their freaking minds right now. They beat Kansas 27-3, to which led to David Beatty being fired. Then you've got TCU, and TCU is struggling right now. They only won 14-13 to because of a mixed extra point by Kansas State, and, and Baylor obviously beat Kansas State earlier in the year. Then you go and play Texas Tech, now, Texas Tech is really good in my opinion, but they could be without Dakota Allen. Allen Bowman's health is just back and forth. He suffered a recurrence of a partially collapsed lung, so I, I don't know exactly how you feel about that. But, you know, I mean, I'd say that the TCU game is the one that you'd really like to get, and then the Texas Tech game is one that's doable. It's not likely, but I think it's doable. And I'll tell you what, this is not, I don't think, the game that anybody expected it to be earlier in the year. But TCU actually got to, uh, what, got to four wins? Yeah, they got to four wins after beating Kansas State. So if they want to have any shot at bowl eligibility, they have to beat Baylor because they're four and five right now. 
They still have a game left at home against Oklahoma State. So Baylor can knock them out of bowl consideration if they beat TCU in the second to last week of the season. And Baylor can make a bowl for the first time under Matt Rule if they win that game. So I don't think that's quite the revivalry that everybody expected back in 2014, but this game's going to have a lot of stakes. And for Baylor, again, you know, it's like I mentioned, you lose those games last year, you try to get close this year, and then you win them the next year. So now they're starting to win a couple of those close games. It's a four-point win against Oklahoma State. It's a three-point win against Kansas State. Obviously, they kill Kansas. Uh, and then you kill UTSA and, and Abilene Christian. And coming back, again, they, they played on the road against Texas earlier this year. They only lost by six points. They had a shot at the end zone as time expired. So, you know, Baylor's starting to be able to play with some of these teams. And it's not always pretty. It's, it's actually oftentimes not pretty. But they're starting to figure it out a little bit. Things are starting to look a little better. They're starting to be able to get teams off the field like they were able to for Oklahoma State. And they're starting to be able to sustain drives and get to the end zone. The other thing that I like from Baylor that I don't think we've seen very much this year is that they had a couple of explosive plays. Uh, John Lovett broke off for a 75-yard touchdown that really, in a lot of ways, ended up being the difference in this game. There was also a blocked punt that was returned for a touchdown by running back Treston Ebner. So ultimately, seven of those points come on special teams. So your offense only has to score 28 to win the football game. And there's a 75-yard run. There's actually also a 36-yard receiving touchdown. If Baylor can start to integrate some big plays into their repertoire, I think that really helps them heading forward because they've been a methodical team, but they need to be able to start scoring quicker uh, in order to keep up in some of these games. Like I mentioned, Iowa State versus TCU versus Texas Tech. They only need one of those games. They only need to go one and two over that stretch. And it's not necessarily going to be easy, but it's very, very doable. So I think you have to feel good about where Baylor's at right now. I think you have to feel good that, um, that the Bears can find a way to make a bowl game. Like I mentioned, they're 5-4 and four right now, and they went 1-11 last year. So there's clearly growth happening. Matt Rule, like, this is exactly what he did at Temple, right? Uh, Matt Rule, his first year at Temple, went, goes 2-10, kind of rebuilds the entire program. Next year they go 6-6, six and six, the next year they win 10 games. And to be clear... <laughs> I do not expect Baylor to win 10 games next year because I think it's a lot harder to do that in the Big 12 than it is in the American Athletic Conference. But I think what you can take away from that is that Baylor is a team that will need to have sort of a slow rebuild. They'll need to be a sort of tearing down. And, and Matt Rule had to do more of a tearing down of Baylor than he ever had to at Temple. So I think that you have to feel good about that. I think that you have to feel good that you know what, he's following his model to a T. And now, again, if they can get to six in Matt Rule's second year, that's a heck of a amount of progress, and I think they have to feel really, really good about that. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. I've been Shahan J. Roger, the College Football Insider at Dave Campbell Six Football. You can find all my work at textfootball.com. Make sure and check out the newly released College Power Poll. See who we have 2 through 12, because I did let you in. That text is going to be number one. Uh, but it's, it's a real tight race after that. But you can like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. Follow us on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Make sure and check out the brand new Texas Basketball Magazine on bookshelves now and the new TexasBasketball.com. And we'd like to give another thank you to North Texas Honda Dealers, our wonderful sponsor. They've supported us since the beginning. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. And we'll be back with you on Wednesday to talk about the upcoming week. And, and it's, it's all happening. It's all happening right now. You know, we're, we're about to start seeing who's really going to make some title games. You know, can Houston find a way to pull it off against Temple? 
can Texas find a way to pull it off in Lubbock against Texas Tech? We don't know whether we'll see Alan Bowman out there. There's a lot of excitement yet to come. I mean, this is, this is crunch time of the season, and that doesn't count all the teams that are just fighting to make a bowl game, and we'll see what happens down the stretch. I'm Shahan J. Roger. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday.